0: I had a funny beginning to my day. I got a Facebook message from a woman in my mom's Bible study. And this is someone that I've you know known for years that I grew up going to church with. And she said, I was reading an article in the New York times and I saw that they cited you. I saw your name, you know, congratulations. I'm so proud of you. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, so, um, I had to do a little Googling of my own self to learn that an article that I had submitted to Fortune many weeks ago was published and then was cited in another article, an opinion piece in the New York Times. So that was a pretty fun beginning to the day. But the article that I wrote was about the relationship between grief and the great resignation. So these are some themes that I've talked about on the podcast uh, recently, but it's become clear that the way that we work is changing and that many of us as individual humans are responding to the changes that have happened related to the pandemic and kind of the reshuffling of our lives. And that one of the many responses to those changes is our own experience of grief. And that grief is a major factor in how it shapes the way that we work. For example, many, many people not returning to traditional jobs. For example, last November alone, 4.5 million people left their jobs. And many of those people are turning to entrepreneurship. And many of those people are looking for other work alternatives, whether that's working for remote companies. So if you're interested in the article in Fortune, you can check it out. It's called How the Great Grief Led to the Great Resignation. And a little bit of a variation in that theme, I'm talking today with Liam Martin from Running Remote. And Liam's been thinking about remote companies for a very long time, but he has recently pulled together all of his wisdom, insight, and learnings into one book called, conveniently enough, Running Remote. So he joins me for the podcast today to talk about how companies can get good at asynchronous management and keep their employees connected to the mission of their organization, even if they're distributed around the world. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs. And I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So, do you know that Barnes& Noble has 25% off of all pre-order books right now? Did you see that?
1: Yes. My publisher decided to tell me that two days ago.
0: Well, it, it, it's good uh, for like two more <laughs> days, I think until the 22nd. So.
1: Yes, I I was blown away. So my publisher emailed me that and made the email structured in a way to say, we discounted your book by 25% with Barnes & Noble. And then I kind of freaked out and I said, could I have gotten a couple weeks notice so I could kind of prep my list to
0: like tell, people? tell
1: people about that? And then they said, oh, no, well, this is actually just happening to everyone. You know, I think it, they were just trying to make everyone feel special. But uh,
0: they wanted you to feel special. But in fact, all books that yes. are available for pre-order are 25% off on Barnes & Noble right now through April 23rd or 22nd, I think.
1: Yeah. So you should pick up Running Remote, obviously, and Touching Two Worlds. And obviously, like be a, you know, you'll get effectively 25% off on both, which is great. And you'll get free
0: shipping if you order two books.
1: Wow. You're like an infomercial. Perfect.
0: Look at that. So Liam, this is your first book, Running Remote. And you have really for a long time been this thought leader in how remote first companies can organize themselves, can lead well, what sort of employees need or teams need to function well when they're distributed. So what made you write the book now? You've been thinking about this for a long time.
1: So first off, I don't like that term thought leader. And the reason is because it feels like all you do is think about things and you don't actually do anything. Um, Uh, But regardless, I, I, I take that as a compliment, to be completely honest with you. I just really think when you think about thought leadership, it's like, well, are you actually doing anything? Yeah. Right. So during that time, I've been running a bunch of SaaS businesses and they've all been remote. So we have team members in 43 different countries all over the world. We have never had an office. We never will have an office. And we really love working remotely. And I've done it for almost 20 years. And about two years ago, when the S H I T all hit the fan, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this podcast, but I kind of did. We had the biggest transition in work since the Industrial Revolution. In February, 4% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. By March, it was 45%. The Industrial Revolution took 80 years. We did that transition in March. So a complete re-understanding of how work works. And during March, April, May... I felt like I had a life preserver and everyone else was drowning. Like I felt like it was like Titanic.
0: Like you're the one that knows how to swim and everyone, nobody else does.
1: I I know that's it. Yeah. And it's just like, I can show you how to do this. I only have so many life preservers, however, because I can only get on so many phone calls with people. And so I actually had someone approach me and said, Well, you should really write a book about this subject. And I said, Well, you know, I am really focused on building these businesses and making sure that they succeed. And they said, oh, no, listen, it's going to be really easy. (laughs) It was not, uh, just to kind of (laughs) let you know. But then when I commit to something, I really have a F yeah type of attitude with regards to saying yes to things. If I'm like a six or a seven on my yes scale, it's not really something that I want to do. And I thought to myself, when would a French Canadian weird guy from Canada ever get the chance to be able to write a book like this? I said, probably this is never going to happen again. This opportunity will never be in front of me again. And so I said, okay, I'm going to work on it. And I actually delegated a lot of my responsibilities inside of my other SaaS businesses and focused exclusively on this book for about a year and a half. And so the book thesis is effectively just this, which is I studied all of the remote first companies that were remote before the pandemic, and I found what they did differently in comparison to the pandemic panickers that we've seen that are effectively the vast majority of remote teams today.
0: Yeah. I mean, this really is your moment, right? This is a time when the world desperately needs the kind of insight and information that you've gathered over these years. And so I, I'm selfishly glad that you decided to write the book because I do think there are a lot of leaders who are still trying to figure out how to lead well in a remote environment. So what did you learn? Like, what are the sort of key takeaways? What are the the teasers that you can leave the audience with that will? Yeah,
1: well, it's it's not even a teaser. I mean, I could tell you this and you'd probably get it very, very simply and clearly. But I studied these companies and the one thing that they did differently from everyone else is, and they called it many different things, but I'm going to call it one thing, which is asynchronous management which is the ability to be able to manage people without actually interacting with them directly, which is a very alien way to think about running a business if you had never run a remote business before. So for decades before, and again, I run a conference called Running Remote as well, so I have the opportunity to be able to talk to these remote founders. And the majority of them are very introverted people. They're not really the charismatic, person that can can control a room. Or when you walk in, you you don't directly go to those people. They're effectively the wallflower type of people. But they still are incredibly intelligent individuals that wanted to be able to build companies. And they realized that doing it remotely could actually provide them the framework to be able to build these businesses. And more importantly, since that team was distributed all over the planet, it was physically impossible for them to actually meet Uh, On a regular basis. And so they built this methodology, which I'm calling asynchronous management, which is managing people without actually directly interacting with them. And that means building processes and systems, project management systems, and providing individual autonomy to all of those team members in order for them to be able to accomplish what my friend Cal Newport says is deep work which is really a philosophical underpinning for everything that remote first companies did before the pandemic, which is allowing people to actually just do their best work and effectively actually minimizing manual management inside of the organization and instead automating a lot of management.
0: Tell me about the human side of that, the relationship side of asynchronous management, because I'm sure there are lots of sort of structural and communication tips that you could leave people with, but I'm most curious about the kinds of things that help us to feel well and connected at work. So how do asynchronous leaders create human, enough human connection that's sort of glue between people who work together?
1: So Amir, who is the founder of Todoist, had a really great perspective on this, which is remote-first companies are not about the people inside of those organizations, but they're instead about the mission of that organization. It's more about the work that you do than the people that are around you for that particular work that you're doing, which I think is a very interesting perspective. But when I thought about it, and it really kind of rolled around in my head more and more often the vast majority of remote workers are really focused on accomplishing something mission-based inside of those organizations. So for us, as an example, our mission is we want to help the world's transition towards remote work. That's been the company mission for the past 12 years. And the people that work inside of the companies that I manage have that as their core tenant of who they are. Now, we obviously create connection with people. I mean, we're not just automatons that work at their computers. You're not
0: robots. Right, we
1: don't interact with people. That would be actually a much easier way to be able to run a business, to be completely honest (laughs) with you. But the way that we create connection is when we actually do meet synchronously, we try to make the time that we meet all about EQ issues and nothing about the actual ins and outs of the business. So when I talk to a regular kind of corporate environment, I talk to leaders in those environments, they're really kind of doing remote at gunpoint at this point, which is like, all right, so it's Friday at 4 p.m. We're all going to get on Zoom and we're going to play Cards Against Humanity, uh, the HR-friendly version, however, not the fun one, and we're going to have your beer FedExed to you, right? Like that's kind of what we're starting to see. And I feel that that's more turning working from home into living at work and we're seeing these eight-hour Zoom room calls every single day, that's not really the way that remote work was done, at least before the pandemic. Before the pandemic, it was, what's your core mission of a company? Are you really excited about that? Are you a 10 on a 10 yes, you wanna actually work for this company? Regardless of whether or not you're actually qualified, that's the first thing that's really optimized for, is getting you very excited about working inside of the organization. Once you've got those pieces in place, Then let's actually see what you can provide the most value to inside of this organization and then see how we can collaborate with other team members to be able to make that happen. And then more importantly, let's support you in focusing in on issues that almost have nothing to do with like the bureaucracy of remote work, but actually, or the bureaucracy of work, but are actually more importantly, the big issues that you need to overcome in order to be successful at your job. So I'll give you an example. We run silent meetings every week inside of uh, the one meeting that I do with our eight other executives, which run all the departments inside of the companies that I manage. We have something called silent meetings, which is we use Asana and we put down all of our issues. And then we discuss those issues asynchronously. So we literally write in comments and we have a debate uh, asynchronously. And if we can come to a conclusion on that ticket, we grab the conclusion, we put it to the top of the ticket, and then we complete the ticket. If we have less than three issues, we don't do the meeting. And the interesting thing that happens when you run this type of an exercise, the issues that stay up on the board are almost entirely due to interpersonal issues. They have nothing to do with the actual business itself. Churn is bad. doesn't matter. We actually have like a very clear solution for that. A more difficult issue is... One of the employees doesn't want to work here anymore, and we know this is someone that we want to keep, and he's feeling disenfranchised. Disconnected. Yeah. Disconnected. How can we get this person back on the bus? That is entirely what's left, and it just reinforces to me that those are the only reasons that you should actually meet with people <laughs> is to be able to help the people in the organization. It's
0: a human intervention for a human problem. Right. So the meeting of humans is how we address some of those things. But I think that does become really, it's not about managing the tasks of someone's job. I mean, hopefully not. We're grown ups. We can read our task lists and sort through it, but it's, it's through over distance. How do you make enough human connection to keep people engaged, like emotionally engaged, targeted toward the mission? Because even if it's a great mission, a mission statement doesn't fuel you, It sort of gets you in the door, but then it's the leader's responsibility to keep that mission alive and well and thriving in the minds of the employees.
1: I completely agree. I'll just give you a couple other examples of the way that we do it. So in our companies, we do asynchronous AMAs, and you can come on to a live Zoom call to be able to ask your questions live, but you can also just watch the recording after the fact. And what we do is we really measure that as a core metric. So like, what is the consumption of that information? And let's not necessarily point fingers at the employees and saying, why aren't you watching these videos? More importantly, let's actually figure out, well, why are they not watching these videos? Maybe we should come up with something better to tell them. And we had this huge aha moment about two years ago where we really started reinvesting in reinforcing that mission. So the first one that we ever did it was by far our most successful because it got picked up by Fiverr and Upwork and a bunch of other companies. It was the story of this uh, man called Fahim, which is on our YouTube channel. And Fahim lives in Dhaka in Bangladesh, and he would sell rugs with his mother on the streets of Dhaka. And he got enough money together over about a six-month period to be able to get access to a laptop and internet access. And he self-taught himself design and became actually one of the most successful designers on both Upwork and Fiverr. And the piece that no one knows on Upwork and Fiverr is that he has muscular dystrophy and he can only move his hand, but he's one of the top designers those platforms and that to me is really something that feeds me and also feeds into that mission which is regardless of your conditions regardless of the wrapper of you remote work provides everyone the opportunity to be able to do their best work regardless of whatever situation they might have and those are the things that we got such a we got such a stronger response from our internal employee we call it our internal community like we have an external community inside of running remote as an example but we really need to also reinforce the internal community and get them excited about what they're doing if they're not excited then they become disenfranchised and they don't do their best work
0: and I think a lot about how remote work is really a a lovely option or adaptation, especially for folks who are struggling with significant mental health challenges, because often there's some more flexibility and fluidity in terms of work hours. The asynchronous nature of work really works for people who need to have flexibility in their sleep schedule and have the flexibility to tend to appointments or do extra things to take care of themselves but it also then becomes i think a challenge for leaders as they are thinking about how to again keep people engaged engage well with people asynchronously but who may be supporting or working with colleagues who are experiencing let's just say significant depression how has that come up in some of the companies that you've interviewed or worked with
1: so i can speak to Examples that I've experienced personally, Uh, it has actually come up, but some of those we left out of the book because it was just too specific. But I can tell you one story that happened during the pandemic. We had one of our team members who's in New York in the very first month of the pandemic. Everyone remembers New York was hit really hard, right? Mass graves being dug on an island right out of the, the main, right out of Manhattan. It was a bad time. And I remember one of our team members, he jumped on for a Zoom call with me. And inside of our organization, it's very, very rare that I'll just get a random Zoom call. But if I do get one from someone that reports to me, of course, I just jump on instantaneously. And he was in the middle of a nervous breakdown because he had discovered uh, he went down into the front lobby and they were taking out a body bag, which was someone who had died from COVID. And he was absolutely terrified. And he remembered going back up to the through the through the elevator thinking okay, well, did he touch the buttons? You know, how long did that last? And he was really just like a live spiral, right? Totally, yeah. And so what's the most pragmatic solution that we could come up with, which was, listen, we're going to get everything to your house. Uh, We're going to turn you into a hermit right now. Like deliveries, we're going to figure out Uber Eats. We're going to figure out all that kind of stuff so that you can just get what you need to get some level of psychological safety, get you back to that point as quickly as possible. And then we used BetterHelp which is probably there's better platforms out there. But I mean, that was the one that we knew of right off the top of our head. And now we actually have an open contract with BetterHelp. So any of our employees can go and use that. And it really creates a firewall between the HR department and the rest of the organization. So there might be actually like really serious problems that that person is going through that's affecting their work. And the most pragmatic solution is to actually solve the problem but there's a lot of embarrassment connected to admitting that to your manager as an example but if you talk to hr then hr reports that back to your manager and that creates at least in our opinion a lot of conflict as well so hr's responsibility is to be able to get people back up and running retention is their absolute top priority so they don't tell uh, <laughs> anyone inside of the organization that, hey, this guy's having a nervous breakdown, unless it's something that we could directly take action on and possibly, you know, save their lives. I've never gotten a message um, from anyone, but those resources are available to them so that HR turns into a ally and not necessarily someone that, you know, tattles on.
0: A reporting body.
1: Exactly. That's, I think that that's so important. And the vast majority of companies right now just don't do that because um, they want to be able to make sure that, the organization remains intact, and I think you actually need to flip it the other way and you need to focus on the individual. All of the managers in the company are really focused on the organization. HR should be focused on the individual.
0: Somebody should focus on the humans. For sure. Yeah. And again, remote work with all of its opportunities does create those challenges of how many touch points your team may have to you know, geopolitical instability, for example. I mean, how many folks have team members in Ukraine who are,
1: we have three right now.
0: I'm sure you do, yeah. I mean, so how, how has that played out?
1: Um, I mean, and I can be quite open about this because I did speak to them and they want that message put out as much as possible. We have one team member in Kharkiv, which has been bombed horribly. It's probably, outside of Mariupol, it's been the worst hit. We have another team member in Poltava, which is um, close to the Donbass region. And then we have another team member in Lviv. We have other team members that are Ukrainian as well. But about a week before, we called them and we said, guess what, guys? You just won yourself an all expenses paid trip to wherever you would like to go on planet Earth. Wherever you want to go, you can go there and the company will pay for it. And not only that, we'll provide you a free month you know, accommodation wherever you want to go. We'll set you up with an Airbnb. And a couple of people took that opportunity, uh, which was great. But everyone was very resistant towards it. But then a lot of the other team members, the three team members that didn't take it, they didn't think that Russia would ever invade. And I remember three days afterwards actually messaging um, one of those team members and saying, okay, so what's the plan? Like, how do we get you out? And he said, um, that time has passed. We cannot We cannot get out. And so we've been, we actually, I pulled all of my strings and ended up getting people Starlinks out there. But then we found out that, and maybe this is too detailed, but then we found out that the Russians can target Starlinks. So now they're terrified to even turn them on. Uh, we got everyone's solar panels. I mean, this is not something that I am qualified to do.
0: You just, you resource as much as you can. Absolutely. Sure. And yeah. it's
1: just one of those things that we ask them, what do you need? And then they tell us, and then we try to get it to them. But- There is, I mean, how can people do their best work when there's cruise missiles flying over their heads? Um, You can't.
0: They can't do their best work. Yeah. Period. So, I
1: mean, at this point, it really is just an issue of, and there's another factor that works into this as well, uh, which is some of those team members didn't want to leave because that's their country and that's where they want to stay. And I'm just their employer. So.
0: You are lower down on the list of loyalties
1: yeah, and and more importantly, I think to me, I'm giving them an out. But then what if, you know, what if the United States inv- invaded Canada? Would I want to stay here? Probably. I would probably say, no, this is my country. I don't want another country to be able to invade uh, Canada, and I would probably stay. So it was a very, very difficult process. Lots of emotion. Uh, we're talking to them every single day. So we are as go- going as synchronous as humanly possible because, and then we also ask them: Is this too much? Uh, are we talking to you too much? Right? Do you want me to talk to you less?
0: Do you want us to leave you alone? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. And so that's been a very, very difficult time. But I never thought in the you know the decade plus that I've been running these businesses that I would ever be dealing with this type of situation um, from a management perspective. It's it's nuts.
0: Although I do think it. It is part of the sort of untold challenge of remote work. Whether I mean, obviously, the Ukraine situation isn't—you know—it's it's a major situation that's affecting a lot of people. But you know, I even I work with a couple of companies that have one company that has a large team in Colombia, and there's waves to the stability and instability. That happen in that country and all of that affects people's ability to show up for work and so as a leader in an asynchronous or in a remote company you you almost you really have to watch the news like you have to sort of pay attention to what's going on in the world and where your people live and are located so that you can provide support accordingly which i think is this level of competence that people don't necessarily anticipate when they set up a remote company
1: well, it's one of those extra complications connected to distributed teams. I can remember uh, there was a talk that GitHub did at Running Remote talking about how about 12 of their team members were located in Puerto Rico when the hurricanes hit and knocked out the country. And they realized that six of those 12 team members were absolutely critical to the operation of GitHub. So GitHub could not function without those six team members, which, by the way, is not really an asynchronous way of operating your business. You shouldn't be you shouldn't own a position, you should operate a position. And when you think about that, then you could say I currently am operating the position of CMO, but at any point if I want to walk away for a year and a half and write a book, I can delegate those responsibilities and I will not be missed. You know, we can adjust for that. But their solution was they flew in a private jet to Puerto Rico and got them out. At, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in personal cost to the company. So I think that we need to think about, it is an in- interesting, unique challenge. I mean, we have had hurricanes in the Philippines where people have lost their houses and you know, we set them up with Airbnbs for six months until they can actually get their insurance that goes through. These are unique challenges, but to me, it also in no way compares to the opportunity to be able to give people work wherever they are on planet earth. Because that positive perspective of, I suppose, talking about Fahim, if I get a Fahim email type email once a week, that's incredibly inspiring and something that gets me really excited about continuing on with this mission.
0: Oh, yeah. And I don't raise those challenges by way of, of just highlighting the, the negative parts or the hard parts. I just think they're unique challenges that leaders aren't always cognizant of until they find themselves in this situation of, wait, I've got these 16 members in Puerto Rico. So I think raising the awareness around, oh, you really have to be pretty dialed in around where your people are and what's going on in those contexts to understand the challenges that they're facing and their ability to show up for work.
1: And also making sure that they can delegate their work at any moment. The biggest thing that we start with within the first 90 days that someone joins our company is... A how to do my job document. So, how do I do my job? It's less than five pages. It can link out to other sources inside of our process documentation, but fundamentally, that is the core document, which is if I get hit by a bus, that's the first thing that you should pick up and it should be updated every quarter. We make sure that it's updated every quarter. It's inside of people's calendars so that they have that piece of information. So, at any point, you know, if a hurricane hits or if Putin decides to invade your country we at least have that information in place to allow delegation and the company to continue to survive because it is going to be something as we move more distributed it's going to be more and more important to be mindful of these things
0: so some companies are beginning to move back to in-person i guess if, if there are companies who are considering making that choice what's the thought process you would take them through Or what are some of the questions that you would ask of a leader who's considering, do I bring my team back in office or do we stay remote?
1: So you may or may not like my response on this one, but I have spoken to a lot of companies that are doing this now. I use a very Socratic method to be able to figure out what their real desires are. So why are you doing that? Well, they're more productive than when they go back to the office. But you told me last year that the team was just as productive when they were working from home but well, we've changed our mind. Did you really? And we just keep going down and down and down the rabbit hole. And one of the biggest insights that I gained from studying remote-first companies that, that were remote before the pandemic is the managerial layer in remote-first asynchronous companies is 50% thinner than their on-premise counterparts. So there are more people doing work in asynchronous companies than there are people managing people doing work. And this creates a real problem, which is the vast majority of middle managers are effectively redundant inside of remote teams. And I think we're only coming to that conclusion at this point. I think there's two ways to deal with that, which is maybe those managers can then be set more on the front lines of the organization and can focus on solving hard problems and manage less, which I think actually is probably a net gain for everyone inside of these companies. I tell people a lot that Your job as a manager is to be able to remove distractions from your direct reports. And unfortunately, the vast majority of those distractions end up being yourself. So to remove those barriers, I think, is really important. But the big issue is managers have recognized that they're not as important inside of this. It's almost like my friend Darren Murph from GitLab, who's the head of remote there, gave a really good analogy, which is this is a horse and buggy versus a Model T moment there's a better way to be able to run a business, which is asynchronous management. And those are effectively the Model Ts. And even though you may love Bessie, your are fantastic horse, right? It's, <laughs> not the, it's not the model that you're gonna be working with long-term, you're effectively, you know, you can do this in a premeditated way, you can do this in a voluntary way, or the decision can be made for you. When I look at the S&P 500 even, some of the biggest companies, Coinbase, Shopify, Meta is actually going, they're already 50% remote, and they're projected to be 80% remote within the next two years. These companies are all remote-first organizations, and they're recognizing that it's just a better model than the on-premise way of doing things uh, that they did before. So it's a lot of middle management is a bit of a barrier. uh, And then I also look at ego, to be honest with you, is another part of that barrier, which is I like to go to a place where there's a thousand people and I get to tell them all what to do.
0: And I can see them.
1: Yeah. Well, and I get an ego yeah. boost from that. It's like, Sorry. Sherry, can you go get me a cup of coffee? And then it's like that, it's a weird, dominant, submissive thing that I just don't necessarily recognize in the book. I talk about um, this woman that ended up running half of my co working space. I call her startup Karen. And uh, she worked in, this coworking space for two years, ran half the coworking space and would be little employees in front of me, just in front of my desk. And then she one day was talking to one of her employees and said, You know, we need to talk to bigger companies, you know, like Time Doctor and Shopify. And it, she was just naming off all of these companies that were in the local area. And then um, the employee said, You mean Liam's company? And I pulled out my AirPod because. I keep my AirPods in to just pretend that I'm not listening, but I hear everything. And she had worked there for two years or she had, she had run half the co working space for two years. And she didn't know that I was the one that ran this company because she had never taken the time to actually speak to me because she didn't think that I was important. You know, a guy at a little desk sitting alone, not managing anybody. This guy's not important. Right. So I think that that's a really big part of this. And the third reason is a lot of managers don't know what to do next, right? They, they kind of went to emergency remote work, uh, remote at gunpoint. And now they're saying, well, I know in office, I know on premise, I know how to execute on that, but I don't know the other pieces, which is why I'm writing this book to hopefully show them a different way.
0: Yeah. Well, congratulations on the book. Obviously, it's the first of many books. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're joking ahead of time that you're like, this, this is one and done. <laughs> yeah, I think
1: um, I'm not a writer. I've realized that in writing this book. I think it's a very painful process. A lot of people talk about how your first book is the most difficult one. But to me, just that entire process is a very different way of thinking. And I think when you have, you have to look at yourself a lot and say to yourself, hey, you know what, am I this type of person? Um, even though I'd love to be the six-foot-two Captain America and c- incredibly charismatic guy that everyone wants to talk to, I'm not that guy. I'm the introverted tech nerd that sits in the back and doesn't really talk to anybody uh, at conferences or at meetings or anything like that. That's who I am as a person. And I have realized I'm probably not great at writing books, but I did have this information that I really wanted to get out to as many people as possible because I think it's mission critical for the future of remote work. So that's why I wrote it, but I will never write another one again. And if I write another one, you can go back to this podcast (laughs) and you can like, I'll owe you a thousand bucks.
0: Okay. Done. Recorded here. But yeah, I do love when a book comes to be because it's the right message for the right time. And that's the best possible reason to write a book, right? Some people write books to put, forward their platform or it feels like the next best step in their thought leadership progression. But you wrote a book because you had a thing to say that people needed to hear. Absolutely. So we're excited about the book. Hope it does very well. You can pick it up at all of the all of the sort of sellers sell of the world. You yes. can pre-order. Pre-orders are huge right now because the supply chain is a little bit wonky with getting paper. I don't know if this is showing up for your book or showing up for my book, but Yes. Well, I mean,
1: paperback versus hardcover. It was a big negotiation with the publisher to be able to get hardcover because it requires more paper to be able to get that. So again, those are kind of like the interesting intricacies of uh, book publishing, which I'm only getting introduced to now, but definitely something that if you don't want to consume it that way, consume it through an audiobook, an ebook. I just want people to get the information.
0: Yep, yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations on the book. It comes out in August. You can pre order it now, but I'm uh, very excited to see what happens with it and to to have that information widely available. So, thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate you, Liam.
1: Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast.